Where you now, Roll? I'm in Milan right now. I mean, it's it's a rent apartment. Oh. And, uh, and I'm working on this TV show called Blocco 181, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Gomorra, the TV series. Yes, I am. Yes, okay. I am. It's, it's like, uh, let's say, the new, possibly the new Gomorra from the same producers of Gomorra from Sky TV, Sky Studios. And, and this is the Italian version? Yeah, it's a it's a northern Italian version. It's set set up in Milan, and it's uh, like um, about uh, Salvadorian gangs and uh, Italian gangs and cocaine deals. You're always on the path of crime, my friend. Uh, I try to stay away. You are. So, uh, so you, what's your job on there exactly? Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a assistant director, a first assistant director, which is, um, you know, it doesn't sound at all like the name is a uh, first AD, a first assistant director is a managing position where you, uh, organize the filming and uh, run the set. So and you're basically so a tour manager for the film set. Somehow, you know, you know, you could say that I'm sort of like a tour manager and a stage manager and a manager. Wow! And also, wow, that's a- also, also a drill sergeant and a psych- psychotherapist. <laughs> it's a, it sounds like it, but you have to be that on tour as well. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. Well, before we get into all of that, Inti, um, yeah. let, let's for, let's first. Let's introduce you. Uh, okay. Inti Carboni. We've been friends for, I don't know, what, 30 years maybe? 25? Maybe, maybe 30 years. I think I met you in the early 90s when I was traveling around Europe at some uh, manlifting banner shows. Oh, yeah, that could possibly be. That could possibly be. Like my, um, my memory, I don't know, like it doesn't go maybe as far back as that, but I think I remember, I vividly remember you doing merch for sake of it all in Amsterdam at the Melkweg. Yeah. I remember that, but I think we already met before because um, it's it's somehow weird, but with Fiend of Fire, I think the most tours we ever did were in Italy. Not in Germany, <laughs> like all the bands, but they were in Italy. I think we did three Italy tours or something. And uh, obviously, you were always the guy in Rome that we. I don't know. Did you? I, I don't even think you organized a show so much, but you you were the guy that hung out with us. Or did you do the shows as well? I don't remember. I did. A show, I did one of your sh- two shows in Rome. Yeah. The yeah. first on the first tour. In yeah. fact, I, it was a fantastic show too. Was it? Yeah, well, you know, what happened was that there was before, I think there was before uh, I, I started working with Sick of It All. That's my memory, at least. So we met I think so in Northern too. Europe, became friends, started writing to each other. Then you guys put out the first 7-inch. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was doing a bunch of things in Rome. You know, I was, um, you know, I was doing shows and I was selling records. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, usually sinister kind of thing. 
and I, <laughs> and I got a bunch of your seven inches, you know, to distribute oh. and sell around. I yeah. think maybe like 50, like a lot of them. 50? Uh, yes. Wow. And, uh, and I sold 10 of them to a bunch of skater kids. Oh, yeah? Right? I mean, kids, because I would just, you know, if I had records, sometimes I would sell it to friends, but sometimes if I had some record, I would just, you know, point to people at shows and be like, hey, do you want to check out this band? Or just, you know, <laughs> go skate somewhere and be like, hey, I guess these records, do you want to buy them? And, yeah. and so I, I, I went to this skate spot and I sold these records to this bunch of skaters who, you know, weren't really interested into hardcore or anything. You know, they were just skateboarding yeah. kids. And then I did your show, and somehow, I, when you guys started, started playing, I realized these 10 records just, you know, multiplied by 150. And there, is, there were maybe like 80 kids who knew all of your songs, 80 yeah. skater kids who probably didn't know any other hardcore band, but they loved your songs. For real? I sang I along the whole show. That's so crazy because I don't remember anything about this. Where was the show? What's this? What's this? Our songs. Yeah, yeah. Was was this at uh, the 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 Fort Prendestino or no? No, no, no. It was a small squad called uh, the Breakout. Oh, okay. Oh, the Breakout. And it, was, and it was a tour with you guys and and um, um, Spawn. Was it and Spawn? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I want to go back to the whole squad scene in in Italy later on, and also. Last week, no, last weekend, I uh, took a deep dive into Rome Hardcore again because um, I uh, on Vimeo, I watched uh, the Rome Hardcore documentary. Oh, right. And uh, because I, I, I watched it a while ago, but I couldn't remember much of it. So I watched it again and everything came back to me. So we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But um, so, yeah, we know each other from Feeding the Fire Days. And for the people who don't know Feeding the Fire is a band I sang in. Like, I don't know, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but seemingly, our Feeding the Fire shows are better than both from Pain shows in Italy. So that, that's great. So, <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so you, uh, but, but tell us a little bit about you and, 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 and getting into hardcore and being in Rome. Because, I mean, uh, everybody who's been to the south of Europe knows is a little bit of a different vibe, also show-wise and hardcore-wise than it is in the north and the northwest of Europe. So, um, but I always thought Rome was very much ahead of a lot of cities in uh, in in southern Europe when it came to to hardcore. So, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, what happens is it, really bizarre because um, I will say that Rome is the New York City of southern Europe. Meaning that it's a, yeah. it's a very old city and it's very urban. It's, you know, it's the biggest city we have in, in Italy. It's uh, mm -hmm. 3.5 million population, maybe like really like 5 million because there's a lot of people who doesn't have uh, citizenship. Uh, and it's always been very urban, meaning that it's very big, um, very diverse in uh, ethnicity and type of neighbors and social classes. And, uh, and it's a very rough city, you know, it's uh, like uh, people in Rome are pretty rough, you know, they're sort of like New Yorkers in a way. And, uh, and somehow it's strange because we, um, me and all the other kids from the hardcore scene, we always had a very uh, tight uh, liaison, tight, uh, re good relationship with the people from New York. 
like we're all friends with the GB guys and uh, the Sikoyol guys and uh, they came to visit and we came to visit and we sort of like speak the same language somehow. Yeah, you guys so, always seem to have a scene that was very, it sounds a little bit elite, but sound, you, you guys were always very clued up about everything, you know? Maybe, yeah, we're just very, very much more curious, I guess. Yeah, you you got you guys were I guess you guys didn't just look inside, but you guys looked very internationally outside as well. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we you know we like to know more about things because that's the other thing. You know, Rome, it's in the middle of Italy, which means it's in the middle of nowhere because um, you know no bands will come up to play except you know the ones we do the shows for because mm -hmm. of all the two big touring bands and all the. Um, uh, let's say network was always in northern Italy. Because, it still is, you know, I Rome think, is, a little bit. Yeah, huh? It still is because yeah. Rome is too far away. So uh, because we lived in such an insular uh, musical and cultural scene, almost an island, we did look outwards a lot. Mm -hmm. We're very curious because we're somehow, it's fun to say, but isolated in a way. Mm -hmm. So because yeah. not many shows came up to Rome, we will do our own shows because not many bands will come play. A lot of people just did bands or did fanzines or did, you know, local mm -hmm. shows. So because of that, uh, every, every band was very uh, raw and very hungry, you know, and uh, everybody was really into the local scene. And every time there would be an out of town show, it was like an event. So everybody would be really appreciative of any band who come over because it was, mm -hmm you know, one show every month or every two months back then. Yeah. So, yeah, because also, like like, like I said, we'll go into that in a little bit, but in, in that in the Rome Harker documentary, it's, the whole vibe I got from it is like, you guys were very, like you just said, you guys were very, very, well, you had your, your, you had your own scene and it was relatively big for, uh, for those days, I would guess, because even if you were, uh, even if you would say, or even if you would think Northwestern Europe had big scenes or whatever, that's not that's not completely true. Back in the in the in the mid '90s or uh, end of the '90s, um, there were uh, the, the scenes up here weren't that huge either, you know. But it seemed like from the documentary that you guys were very, how should I say it? You had a lot of bands. Um, everybody was really supporting each other. So, but I guess yeah. that comes with Having that isolated feeling, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, just being very insular. You know, uh, you, if you want to show, you have to do it on your own. You know, I mean, I mean, in uh, in Northern Europe, especially in Northern Central Europe, you, and it was sort of like a paradise to us every time we were traveling there. We had shows all the time, touring bands coming all the time. So obviously, you don't have that hunger that we had, you know? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. it was easier just to go and see other bands instead of doing your own band. Mm -hmm. Hey, you got you got very nice knees. Oops. Is that you doing this? <laughs> you doing that? You doing that? You doing that on purpose? <laughs> no, no, I fucked up something with that. Okay, like this. I never use Skype, and I had a very very long day, so I'm just laying on my bed now. Uh, that's okay. No, that's okay. I, I'm I'm using Skype because I don't. I know the the new thing to use is Zoom, but yeah. for Zoom, if you don't have a, a how what do you call it? If you're not subscribed to it for some uh, subscription, yeah, it ends. Yeah, so I was like, fuck that, you know, like, we have to go old school on Skype. So, yeah, um, no, but I always, I, 
to be honest, like it's it's kind of weird because with like I said with being the fire in my it probably isn't completely not true because I, I uh, like I said I don't remember much of those days yeah. as weird as it is when I'm talking to people when I'm talking to Alona or to Harold or to some other or to Renee or someone you know like and they talk about being the fire a lot of stuff comes back but but it it seems like a big black hole to me like I don't I don't like I don't remember much of being the fire but what I remember is like. For me, like, it's obviously not true, but we played the most shows we played in Italy somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird, but that's that's the most memories I have. Um, but yeah, I always love coming to Rome from the from the get go. But I always tell people if they when they ask me what's the most beautiful city in Europe, I say the city I like the most because it's the grittiest is London, but the most beautiful city is Rome. Somehow, and then people go like, "Oh, you think it's the most beautiful?" Yeah, I think it's the most beautiful city. You know, like I, I like Rome. I like Rome. It's the nice food, nice people, uh, a lot of culture. You know. Well, well, you know, I obviously, I, I you know, I live in Rome. I've been, I lived in Rome for you know all my life, and uh, yeah. it's a tough city, meaning that you know everything is broken, nothing really works, and uh, yeah. People can be uh, very arrogant or maybe a little rough on the edges. And uh, it's a tough city to live in, you know, because everything is difficult. And every time I, you know, I travel somewhere else and I'm like, oh, you know, the Netherlands or Germany, everything works. Everything is so clean <laughs> and nice, you know. Oh, and life seems so much easier. And then I, I fly back home and I take, you know, a car to Rome. And I usually come back, come back to Rome during, you know, when the sun is setting down and the light is orange and it shines yeah. over to the Roman Forum and everything yeah. has this orange glow and all these beautiful ruins. I'm like, fuck, you yeah. know, Rome got yeah. me again. Because Rome, 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 it's like yeah, I, the crazy beautiful girlfriend you had was thought will make your life completely miserable, but it was the best love you ever made, you know? That is a that is a beautiful that's a beautiful comparison. <laughs> well, so I'm I, like, I, oh, I, she got me again. Wow. No, I I can I'm totally see again. that. I can totally see that. The uh, um, uh, what was going to say? Yeah, the, 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 coming to Italy, you know, all these years, and even with Born from Pain later on, um, Italy somehow even if we talk about southern europe is a little bit different than uh, a little bit is a lot different than spain or the south of france or portugal or greece um italy seems to be always um in everything also when it's uh you know i'm, I'm a lot into football so also yeah. also with football but also with hardcore and with everything with punk with underground stuff it's very political it's either very right-wing or it's either very extremely left-wing. And um, I always appreciated that. Well, not the right-wing stuff, obviously, but I always appreciate <laughs> the, extre the, the extremism in it, you know, because um, and, and and for me, like, the, the first time I ever did not play a squad in Italy was with Born From Pain, but later on. It's the first time yeah. we, played a, we played a club and it is like, way in the i think 2007 or 2008 or 2006 and you know back with feeding the fire we used to play squads everywhere almost holland germany belgium everywhere now not all the time but a lot of squads but you know like hardcore punk that you know that lived in squads mostly and um 
but in Italy, it seems to last forever, you know, like, and it seemed like in Italy, what was the youth centers in, in Holland and Germany, the squads are in Italy, or am I wrong here? Well, uh, basically what happens is that there is no youth, youth centers in, in Italy. There is no structure that supports the youth in Italy still, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, whatever was and still is the music scene, you know, the club scene, it's, um, uh, it's based on money and revenue. And basically hardcore makes mm -hmm. no money, you know? So no mm -hmm. clubs wanted to uh, invest into, you know, doing hardcore or punk shows. First of all, because back in the 80s or 90s, it was a kind of music that they would not understand. And second of all, because it would not make any money because uh, the entrance fee is too low or not many people show up and they don't really drink. You know, yeah, so, true. They, so they don't make, you know, money from the bar and everything. It's much better for them to do a disco night or, or a pop mm. band or anything. So basically, uh, punk and hardcore band had no place to go except for the squats. And because, you know, there was politics, there is politics in punk, there was a liaison with the, with the squats. And so the squats could make money out of the punks, you know, money that would be invested in, into political um, activities. And, uh, and the punks will have a place to, to play with no problems. I mean, uh, it was... It was absolutely impossible to 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 do a punk show in a, in a club it was just not not feasible so that's why there is this very strong relationship with uh, squats and punk and hardcore bands so the, and see this you know yeah and uh yeah i remember because i think what was it like three or four years ago i think with madball when it was in italy with madball in rome did we i think you were there too right didn't we play like fort prenestino i think we yeah. did Probably, yes. Yeah. And then, as, um, I mean, it's, it's not crazy to me. I mean, I'm used to, to, to playing squads, but uh, I think most new hardcore bands that, that come around now and, and, and usually do not grow up or uh, uh, play frequently play in, in, in places like squads nowadays, whereas back in the 80s and early 90s or mid 90s, in all of Europe, a lot of a lot of the shows were in squads, and you know? yeah. like not not a lot of were were in youth centers that only came from the mid '90s or the early '90s on. But um, so you guys, uh, like uh, going to that documentary. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what I got from that is that actually, the, you guys, and I think you hinted at it already, that you guys. Um, used to squats for shows, but um, they felt like, uh, and that's what, what I thought was a little bit weird, because it felt like they were not really on one, how should I say it, on, on one idea with you guys. Okay, well, let's play this way. You know, squats in Italy uh, were a byproduct of uh, counterculture, uh, and extreme left-wing politics from the 1970s, mm -hmm. right? So basically what happened was that these, uh, uh, you know, le radical left-wing places were doing mostly, you know, political actions were mm -hmm. uh, linked to uh, an ideology that was completely different than, uh, you know, anything that is linked to music or punk, you know? So much that early punks in Italy were actually beat up by people from the squats because they thought they were fascists. 
God damn. Right? <laughs> so uh, so they weren't le- so they weren't le- they weren't left wing enough for him. Yeah, well, it's not they weren't left wing enough. It's just they couldn't they could not understand them. You know, so they thought they were right wing. Uh, you, you, you know, okay. you have to think that punk and hardcore back in the early '80s was such a different look, music, and lifestyle that nobody could understand them except the people that were in it. So much. But what is what is crazy? What, what, what sorry, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. You, but what I think is so crazy about that, and also when I. Because I think one of one of the guys in the documentary is talking about that the yeah. guy with the bio has a shirt on. I don't I, I, no idea. Looks like an old school guy, and he uh, he is saying he is saying exactly the same thing you're saying now. But I was thinking at that point, it's like um, all the squats that I played always were always run by people that had somehow a connection to the punk scene. But so, so uh, it seems you would so it seems, but not so much. I mean, you are, you, are, okay. you have to think that. Uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, also there was a big uh, cultural shift from uh, punk and old hardcore, you know, from, you know, modern hardcore and straight edge. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, like a big, you know, cultural shock for, for, for people from the squats. They could just not understand it. You know, they thought that if you are drug free or sometimes even if you're a vegetarian, you were sort of like, on the verge of being, you know, macho and uh, and right wing makes no sense to me. But it, it no. was a strange thing for them. You know, it was a big cultural shock. Also, this thing about you know looking up to American bands somehow into a different look and not dressing up like punks, but dressing up in you know just a jeans and a t-shirt. Also, there was mm-hmm. a big cultural shock because all of a sudden you sort of like look normal, whereas there yeah. was there was a whole uh, you know rebellion against. You know, looking punk, which was a, a look that was already copted by society anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so most of the people that run the squats were people that were into the uh, radical left in political scene. And they were senior. They, they, they were, you know, like 10, 15 years older than us. Mm-hmm. And that's a generation. It's a big generational gap. Yeah. So of course, mm-hmm. they could not understand us completely, you know, so much that at least in Rome, some of the squats where we did shows were sort of like the underdogs of squats, you know, the smaller ones, the one that needed much more the money and the public that we will get to them. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, the bigger political squats will, didn't want to have anything to do with us because uh, to them, hardcore and strangers was not political enough. Go figure, you know, with Melly wow. and feeding the fire. <laughs> yeah, that. That's I, I don't know how much more left wing it could get in hardcore. And, and I do remember uh, <laughs> once we did a show at the squad, and the guy from Open Season read a piece out of the Manly Fifteen Banner record that had the whole speech from Lenin against yeah. drugs, mm-hmm. and that totally freaked them out. You know, they uh, after the show they stopped us and they say, yeah, but that's taken out of context, and blah blah blah, because you you have to think that. You know, most of the people from that political field uh, were people that were either uh, using a lot of drugs or mm-hmm. actually living out of drug dealing. You know, so they uh, so, they 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 felt you know they were they were under attack somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can they, totally you know, imagine. Nobody was attacking them. You know, but no, they, they no. felt with their back against the wall. It was a cultural thing. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So. Uh, 
they felt kind of intruded by the people that actually interpret the left-wing ideology maybe a bit more how should i say it a, a little bit more how it should be interpreted than them and they felt uh yeah like you said they felt attacked i guess yeah and that's and as so that uh that made it problematic for you guys to work with those people to do shows well, I mean, at least in Rome, we could do shows only with um, the smaller squads. Yeah. Which were, were the squads that hardly had any, you know, social uh, shows or anything. So we could we could go there. They would give us just, you know, free uh, squad time. And uh, in, uh, in we would give them all the money we would make. So it what's was the, uh, you know, a pretty fair deal. Was there a kind of a competition between the squads to, to, to get... Not a real competition, but what were there so many squads that they were happy that you guys came to them instead of to the bigger squads? Uh, yeah, definitely, because, you know, they weren't getting that many shows. You know, all the bigger shows, which weren't hardcore shows, but back then, especially in the early 90s, early mid-90s was mostly hip-hop and uh, reggae. Ah. You know, or just, you know, dancing stuff. You know, dance, I won't say dance music, but, you know, like... Uh, how you say, um, um, well, you know, just uh, DJ, DJ sets. So it also was definitely getting more people to the squads and getting them more money. And also was linked with a more straightforward political ideology than our ideology, you know? Okay. Because yeah, it, yeah. there wasn't strategy involved. No, yeah, I get it. But Which is funny every- because let me tell you, out of all the people that will come to a hardcore show in Rome, Maybe like twenty percent were strategy. Yeah, yeah, weird. So, yeah, but so so all those acts that that played in those squads were all those acts typically like the hip hop and the reggae acts were all typically very politically left wing or did oh, they yeah, just? Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, did they just, just to give up? you an example, I don't know if you heard of the uh, of the. Uh, Basque country band Cortatu. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, Cortatu and Negu Goriak, they were you know, radical left-wing punk bands from uh, from Bilbao. And they had a very strong relationship with the radical left-wing scene in Rome. And I will say they play every two months. Yeah, I'm not uh, And they were surprised. very famous in Rome. <laughs> very famous. Because the, the, the Basque country scene reminds me most of the Italian scene when it comes to stuff like that extremely political always yeah. which is not which is not a bad thing as long as it doesn't result in, in in you know like in keeping people keeping people out that because you know what it is uh, I, I noticed over the years uh, also in my thing the fire days that yeah. you know even if if everybody has a a, a a good progressive socialist attitude then still people there's still people that uh, um how should I say? You, you're not, you're not, you're not left wing enough for him, you know. You're, you're not radical enough for him, and you get banned. And that's like, and that I think was always the problem of of left wing people. They could never get over their little, their little differences and and unite, you know. But that's a discussion for a whole different time. Yeah, but, yeah um, I hear you. I hear you. Well, you know, on the other end, I can say that if there were no squats in Italy, there would not be punk or hardcore in Italy. Oh no, I believe that totally. I believe that totally because, like I said, the last time we came to it was not the time of Mabel playing Forte Prestino, but um, we were there a time after. I think we played. It was either Turin or or Bologna. And yeah. We played in the squad, 
uh, we played with a uh, uh, wasn't even headlining. I think it was like a, 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 um, a very left wing big hip hop guy from uh, from okay. Italy that played, and it was it was crazy. Like it was it was so insane. It was so many people. It was ultra chaotic, and it was like. And but that was still like this is like I don't know three four years ago as well. I don't know. Yeah. It's but I just I just know when you go to Italy, you know that's that's the way it's set up. But that that's cool too. That has its, that's just the way it is, and that's. I think that's a, that's a good thing too, you know. That still that scene has kind of uh, that it didn't drift off into just clubs putting on shows with guys that yeah. don't give a shit about anything, you know. So, but also I have to tell you, you know, because the squat, what the squats have is at least in Rome. Number one, you know, the entry fee is very low, very low. So it's very inclusive, you know. Number two, they're Nazi-free scenes. So you will not run into Nazis. Yeah. And not have any problem with Nazis, which is pretty good, you know? And uh, and also, sometimes, you know, there are magnets for people who will come to see a band if they, even if they don't really care about the kind of music. So okay. sometimes squat shows, especially yeah. at the Forte Prestino, they can be gigantic. I mean, I, uh, one, I saw two shows that if I saw them in a club, it would have, not have been the same thing. I saw... Uh, up on that at the Forte Prensino and oh. suicidal tendencies, and those were both gigantic shows. I bet you. Gigantic shows. I bet you. And it was just that the amount of people and the cross pollination of different kind of people was huge. Yeah. It was fun for that, you know? Yeah, of course. No, that's good. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, um, the. Uh, uh, what, what was that Rome squad called again that you said that we played with Fiend of Fire in Rome? Blowout? The, the br- breakout. Breakout, breakout, breakout. Yeah. Now, Blowout is something else. Blowout is the show, uh, I don't know if you put it on, but weren't those like the the, 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 hard, the Rome hardcore shows, the Blowouts? Okay, what happened was, you know, because we could, we didn't get any, you know, touring bands. Yeah. We had, you know, this bunch of uh, hardcore bands in Rome all of a sudden. You're over, all of a sudden in in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, Growing Concern started playing, you know, modern hardcore, like in the oh, New yeah. York hardcore. Australian Shout out fight. to Growing Concern. Yeah, they were fantastic. And, you know, they made yeah. their band, and all of a sudden, you know, One Step Ahead, which then became Open Season, went, got together, and some and Time Bomb got also together. Also a great band. Also so a great of, band. Of, yeah. You know, in, in a year and a half, you had, like, five bands. And we're like, you know, yeah. fuck this, we're going to do our own shows. And we did, you know, the first... Roma hardcore show, which was just bands from Rome, which was very unheard of, and it was only a hardcore band. And uh, we did in a squat, and Andrew, who's the guitar player of Growing Concern, who's mm-hmm. half Italian and half American, because his mother is from uh, Cincinnati, he, uh, we made the, the poster together, and he called it Hardcore Blowout. And basically, that became the term for um, you know Rome hardcore shows with a bunch of bands. Well, that's cool. But- and they still call because it because I remember. Oh, they do. Yeah, it got you know up to this day into generation, and probably the people who use it now I have no idea that you know Andrew put it up. But they're still using it now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's that's kind of amazing. And it's uh, it's not really you know it's passed into generations, and they have no idea that you know somebody else did it before them. It's just a that's, term that they use it. That's awesome. But do you think? Um, those generations from now 
know about the legacy, not just about the blowout, but like know about the legacy of Rome Hardcore? I don't think so, you know, and it's also good if they don't know about it. Uh, Why? Because I think, because I think, uh, I don't like tradition. I think, I think just as we, you know, you got to kill your parents, some figuratively speaking, you know, because just like <laughs> hardcore, hardcore killed I'd rather not. Hardcore killed <laughs> yeah. punk. It was like, fuck this punk shit with the spiky hair, you know? And then, you know, straight edge killed, you know, just uh, hardcore and so on. So, so hardcore, I think, is a, is not, it's not a genre of music. It's a mindset. The constant and the music within yeah. the mindset and the, and, the, and the type of music and the things that happen always changes. And it's good if people don't know about the older generation because they can do something new. Now, I, I, get, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so you mean so they don't look too much back, so they don't copy what was. But they, I mean, with a little respect and being proud of what came before you, I mean, you guys can definitely be proud of what you built there. I mean, you just mentioned a couple of bands, and those are bands I have the records from right here in my in my uh, in my record shelf. Yeah, uh, from back in the day, all those bands, a lot, a lot more even, but a lot of more Italian bands that are not from Rome, but. I mean, you guys had you guys had a pretty thriving and an active scene down there, you know. Like I remember, and I, I get back to Fiend the Fire again. But like with Fiend the Fire, we were always, you know, like I think we played Rome twice or three times. And when we went down there, for us, it was an achievement because we knew Rome has good bands, good scene, you know. And it was yeah. that was a thing for us, you know. Yeah. So yeah, you have to think that all of that, it's maybe like twenty people tops. Oh damn! It's like all that music was made by you know like twenty twenty five people maybe you know so the first generation was like ten. So it's basically know? like the revelation scene in New York. There's also just twenty people. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because growing concern is four people, and open season is four other people, and they you know they got together and they made this other band called Equality, and then they yeah. made Volume, which was a pop band, and it's mm -hmm. always the same people. I mean, I have a group chat. With uh, what's this? What is this? Fourteen people, and all, the, all those fourteen people are like the columns of Rome Hardcore. Uh -huh. And it was all the people that did the shows, that did the fanzines, and did the bands. And it's it's up to those, you know. And then you got people here and there from other bands. But, but the yeah, people yeah. that stayed that did most of the work was eighteen people. Yeah, I like Time Bomb a lot too, though. Yeah. Well, time about that, you know, like different incarnations too, because they started out as a hardcore band and then they became a very metal sounding band, mm -hmm. you know, almost like a, a, right. a Belgium H1000 band. Yeah. And true. then they became, a, they, they put out a really good record, which sort of like beat, rock beat, sounding a little like the International Noise Conspiracy, but a little rower. And then oh, they became a, a band that sounded like Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then they became a country band. Are you, th that's a lot of. And they still are called Time Bomb. Uh, they were still called Time Bomb, and then they became a Bonder Safari when they became more like, uh, more like Pink Floyd. Damn, I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, I might like it. I don't know. I n I never heard it, but that's 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 kind of crazy. So how would you how would you compare the Rome scene to the to the other scenes in uh, in Italy? uh well you know because i know because I, I know sorry to interrupt you because i know yeah. northern italy around venice and uh rovereto and all those uh, they had they had a pretty active scene up there right yeah 
I mean, each basically what happened was that Rome was very insular, and then the northern scene because of the train connections and uh, and and it was just easier to travel from town to town. The, everybody was much more interconnected. So I will say, and you know, I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this, but I don't. I mean, I like Italian hardcore band from the early '80s, like uh, Negazione, Indigesti, and Raw Power, and Wretched. I think they were fantastic bands, uh, but then from the uh, from what was my scene, which is the uh, you know late '80s and mid '90s, I don't really know of any band that is comparable to the Rome hardcore band. You know, you know this is going to sound. Everything was sort of like der der derivative, you know, in a way. Yeah, this is going to sound controversial, but I think I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, because but seriously, I'll, I'll say that later uh, on there were hey. really good bands from the north, you know, like yeah. Amico di Martucci and La Piovra, and a bunch of bands are very non-derivative. They're more original, you know. Yeah, because I um, I was going to ask you, like, when I just got into hardcore. Italian hardcore was actually a force to be reckoned with, you know, like uh, when I got into hardcore, Cheetah Chrome Motherfuckers, Indigesti, uh, Negazione, those were bands that, Raw Power, those were bands that you just knew. They, they were part of the, like, they, it was not even like, oh, these are, oh, but they're from Italy, you know. Um, it was like these are the European hardcore bands among one because you know like back in the days so there was there weren't releases coming out uh, there weren't a hundred releases coming out every month yeah back in the day you had made two releases coming out of European hardcore bands and those bands I remember Cheetah Chrome motherfuckers played they were on tour a lot like I I remember like I never saw them live but i remember seeing a lot of flyers of them playing in amsterdam in squads and utrecht in squads and yeah. in, in up in Groningen in the north and um but the records were fucking hard and uh like you said in between that time and the time that i got into the rome hardcore bands for me there seems just to be a void but that's probably just just me i don't know but those bands were awesome Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say, uh, I mean, I'll, I'm telling you, you know what, like, Negazione, Indigesti, Raw Power, and Cheetah Chrome Motherfuckers, they are originators. I mean, they have very distinct sounds, each of them, very unheard of, you know, it's almost like, you know, bad brains. Yeah, and very, and not even just for Italy, for the whole European scene. For the whole Europe, you know, they're very yeah. specific, they're on, they have their own sound, they're, it's a sound that was never heard before. Uh, yeah, you know, almost they, they were, you know, they came out of space. Yeah, and, and also there were people that were living in smaller communities because um, uh, Chita Cromarefarkas they came from Pisa, which is a tiny town. Yeah, and uh, Raw Power they came from Poviglio, which is another tiny town, and Indigesti came from uh, another tiny town in the north. So it was somehow they were, were all isolated as well, and they're all very, um, you know thinking forward and thinking outward and uh, because they had this hunger for playing shows and knowing other people and stuff it was also the four bands that toured the most because you know Rob yeah. Power went to the US a bunch of times Indigesti yeah. toured the US and Europe Negazione toured the shit out of Europe oh yeah I, I remember always seeing back in the day really when I when I got into hardcore end of the 80s like mid 80s Negazione and Chino Chrome motherfuckers, I, I feel like I saw them on every second poster. 
for yeah. every second flyer. It's crazy. So let me ask you something. If you have to choose your favorite band out of those four bands, what would be your favorite band? Um, I think Indie Jesse because they're so fucking original. And uh, I, I don't know if you ever heard that record, but it's really yeah. strange and weird and very powerful for the same time. Yeah. And then the um, the singer was a little crazy, I think. And he forced <laughs> the band to mix the voice as it was an instrument on a lower level. Yeah. It wasn't up front uh, as the rest uh, of the voice. So the voice is mixed down. And also the, the lyrics, it's all poetry, like pure, you know, like very uh, abstract poetry. That you know, if you read the lyrics, makes no sense. It's pure <laughs> poetry. It's really strange. Extreme, extremely abstract, which is which is weird for that time because all the lyrics were very direct in that time. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, my favorite record is probably "Lo Spirito Continua" from Negazione. Oh, that's a fantastic record. Yes, it's amazing. Like, I mean, it sounds really weird, of course. Course, because uh, in modern hardcore, everybody looks at uh, the states, or they look. If you look at Europe, everybody always looks to northwestern Europe, Germany, Holland, England, and everything, you know. But I do have to say, back in those days, you looked at Italy as, uh, but even Spain, a band like HHH. You remember that band? Yeah. Or Subterranean Kids. Yeah. Those fantastic. bands, are, yeah, those bands were like those bands were like no one even considered that as like oh yeah, but. And it's weird to say because I think a lot of people do that now. They go like, "Oh yeah," but from you know, like people put some put some question marks on it because they're not from a very prominent country. But it's totally ridiculous, obviously. But back then, I think, uh, especially Italy was a leading country in hardcore. Very, very, very extremely good bands. Yeah, yeah fantastic bands and very original. You know, that's the thing. They were very original. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So, um, what about all those other bands? though? the 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 bands that were not like the grown concerns and the open seasons and the equalities from Rome, like uh, Concrete Comrades. Well, well you okay, went to concrete, those bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all they're all friends. They're all good friends of my, of mine. And uh, what happened was that after the first wave of you know hardcore bands like New York slash Strangers hardcore bands. Uh, you know, bands like um, Rorschach and the the Abudition and Vermifer bands started coming out. ABC and also, the real scene. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So a lot of people took, you know, uh, inspiration from those bands. And so Concrete was sprung out of those, you know, type of music as well. And Comrades was mostly because uh, even back then, even back in the late 80s and early 90s, a bunch of people in the Rome hardcore scene were really into grindcore or I would say power violence, you know, like bands like Infest. Yeah. All of us, we all love Infest. Everybody yeah, I do too. Hardcore team <laughs> loves Infest, you know? Yeah, of course. And uh, Paolo Petradia from SOA Records, you know, was one of the first people who put out a suck. And, great guy. Uh, you know, Respect yeah, to Paolo. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And all, the, and all those other bands. So um, obviously that was the kind of music he wanted to make. Yeah, and so yeah. he made comrades. Yeah, he he was he, he was he was in it, but he was didn't he do vocals for the band? He was a singer of comrades, yes. Yeah, and he was out on his record label. I know as a way records, yeah, but they were always wearing those ski masks, yeah, and yeah. I think for a while everybody 
it was like, is he in the band or is he not in the band? But like, yeah, I, I yeah, love Comrades. Was it was, like it was great. Band. But what's yeah. funny is that Paolo also was, I think, single-handedly the originator of the revival of all music in Europe. Oh yeah, yeah. Explain. What I don't know. Was that in the in the early nineties? You know, it was it was really to Nabat, and Nabat was a mm-hmm. dead band. You know, it was deep, completely down into the ashes <laughs> of punk and completely forgotten. So only a few people in the 90s knew about Nabat, which was a mm-hmm. fantastic band, but, you know, long gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Paolo was really into them. And, uh, and he was into some oil stuff, you know. But nobody was into oil. There were no skinheads except for the Nazis or some of the original skinheads who were mostly political, which you would, you know, listen to ska and uh, Rocksteady and stuff like that. But uh, there were no oi skinheads at mm-hmm. all, never. So what happened was that he put out a band that was an actual joke band called Colonna Infame. And it was him and some of the guys from um, uh, from um, um, co- no, from um, uh, Time Bomb. Okay. So Time Bomb plus Paolo singing. They put out this uh, record. There was a, a joke oi band with straight edge lyrics called Colonna Infame. <laughs> okay. Right? So it was a bunch of straight-edge vegan kids who would play these uh, oi songs. They were all tongue-in-cheek oi songs. And then all of a sudden, all these people started coming out of shows and started dressing up like skinheads and singing to those lyrics like they were serious. And so... But what what is serious? They were not serious. You know, okay. there were fun, fun things, you know, against, uh, you know, hippies and yeah, things like okay. that. It was just, you know, okay. it, was a, it was a spoof of Nabat, and they were playing Nab- okay. basically Nabat songs. And then all of the skinners started coming up at shows that you would never see and singing those lyrics. And slowly, Colonna Infame turned into an actual real skinhead band. Ah, okay. And all, and, uh, you know, after they started touring around Europe, I mean, around Italy, all these other skinhead bands started popping up, and it became, you know, like now there's a big uh, oi uh, scenes in Italy. It's pretty mm. big, and Not it sort right. of like went all over Europe too. Is 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 Paul still active? Uh, Paul has a record label, and he until recently uh, he was running a vegan uh, restaurant in Rome. Oh yeah, which, you know, he closed down because of COVID. Ah oh, damn. Uh, but uh, I think he still has the record label. As a way. Yeah, he still has the record label. And I think they did a few reunion shows of Colonna Infame too. Okay. Well, yeah. good for him. I hope so. Yeah. But the skinhead yeah. version, you know? <laughs> no, that's... Yeah. Hey, um, so you... Uh, at a certain point, you, you said you, were, you guys were looking more outward. And you had more of a, you reached out to more international scenes, like you said, you, 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 you were in touch with, uh, with GB from New York and, and, and other bands and I guess sick of it all. So yeah. at one point you start doing merch for sake of it all, right? Okay. What happened was that, you know, we, we will travel to show, there were very few shows in Europe or not, or not ideally, but so we, it was always like a small pack of like five or six people will travel to see mm-hmm. those bands because it was an event and so me and three other guys from rome 
we traveled by train all the way to the border between Austria and, and Switzerland to see Sikovito play on their first tour. It was like a 24-hour trip with smaller trains. So we traveled there, and uh, we knew Mark from MAD because, yeah. um, you know, we met him at other shows. And back then, the scene was very small, so you would yeah. talk at shows all the time. Uh, so we knew Mark, and he, you know, he knew that he, we traveled all the way from, from Italy, so he, he introduced us to the Sick of It All guys. And so we, you know, we sort of like, uh, you know, became friends and pen pals and whatnot. And when they came back on their second tour, we we organized their show in Rome, right? And um, what happened was that show was in a club, and uh, we basically chipped in like twenty of us. We put money together in a basket so we would know that we had the guarantee for the band. Yeah, because there were so many expenses by doing a show in a club, mm-hmm. and uh, we could do it only in a club because the squads wouldn't do it. So yeah. we put together a guarantee, so the show was paid. And then um, the Sikovito guys, uh, you know, went, came over with their van, did a big mistake because they parked it in front of the Coliseum, which was an area notorious for Cardiff. And oh, I know, all, I know all about that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because that happened to uh, Spawn as well. Actually, to Michael yes. Miller. That happened to yes. Michael Miller. It, it didn't happen to us, it happened to Michael, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they park exactly there, right? At the they, same uh, spot? Yeah, the same spot. The same oh spot. And uh, they didn't well, have anybody we have to, Andy, we have to explain to the people that there's an area, especially, I don't know how it is now, but it was between your house and the Colosseum because you used exactly. to live pretty close to the Colosseum where you actually said, eh, it might be a risk, it might be okay, but if I were you, I would sleep in the car and then people said ah let's not sleep in the car obviously because they wanted to have a comfortable uh, semi-comfortable spot on the floor and then they came back the next day and obviously this was broken into and that was that was was usual back in the day right specifically you know the the area the neighbor which where i still live was sort of like the lower side of rome so it was a very nice looking area but was sort of city and uh so if you park your car and you left stuff inside the car Oof. You may get broken it, right? Yeah. So when uh, when Feed and Fire and Spawn came over, you know, I told everybody, hey, look, maybe you better, you know, leave your stuff at my apartment yeah. because otherwise they may break your car. And Michael Muir was like, oh, no, no, I leave my stuff in my car because I have this very brand new alarm system and nobody's going to fuck with my car. <laughs> and of course, he come back an hour later and his car was broken into. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you have new alarm system if no one comes running to the alarm <laughs> yeah you know that was very german of michael Mueller. he was a he was a very german guy um he will pro- he will probably listen to this so sorry michael but it was it was not hey, smart yeah, yeah. Hey, i told you michael not to leave your stuff in the car right that's true yeah <laughs> anyway so the secret guys they all went to see the costume and toby was supposed to guard the van you know, oh, Toby was to still stay. with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, didn't want to stay in the van. He was like, I want to see the Colosseum too. So he left the van and went with them. And of course, they came back and they stole some of their gear. Oh, so oh, yeah. um, so they came to the club and we told them, what happened? Oh, we parked near the Colosseum. We were like, yeah, okay, well, if you only knew. Um, <laughs> so they, they, they played a show and we went a little under with the money, although the show was packed. 
And so we tell, we asked them if they wanted to stay at my place instead of getting a hotel room so we could save some money. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, sure, you know, we can stay at your place. So they stay at my place back when I was living with my sister. And we, you know, usual hardcore stuff from the 90s. We sat, sat up all night talking and talking about million things. And uh, we became real friends. You guys then, had a nice place there. Yeah, yeah. And then um, about... A year or two years later, I was working on a film. I just started working in the film business. Yeah. And I was working on film up north, and we just finished filming and I had some time off. So they were playing, and I showed up with my bag and asked them if they could give me a ride, you know, in Northern Europe, because I wanted to travel a bit. So I opened the bus, and after a couple of days, they were like, hey, do you want to stay for some more shows? I'm like, sure. You know, it's my favorite band. Why not? And, you know, <laughs> you guys are friends. Sure. And then after like two or three more shows, um, I forgot what's his name. This merch guy from Berlin that was working with them. Uh, he had some Mosh? Dent- no, no Mosh, no Mosh. Uh. Udo, I think it was. Oh, it could be Udo, like yeah. yeah it could like be a Udo, big, yeah. big skinned guy. Um, <sighs> anyway, he had a dental emergency. He, ma- he makes knives now. I don't, he was I in don't Berlin know. and he makes big knives. Might be Udo. I don't know. Ma- Anyway, uh, he had a dental emergency, so he had to go back to Berlin. And so they asked me if I wanted to do merch for them. And of course, you know, I was, you know, I was getting a ride for free. Of course, I will help anyway. So I stayed for the whole tour. And at the end of the tour, they asked me if I wanted to work for them. And there was, you know, I wasn't even blinking. I was like, sure, you know. <laughs> nice. That, so that means as of then, you were their merch guy? I was their merch guy for uh, two more European tours, and then I helped out on a on a tour in um, in California with them and Rancid. Oh, you went to the states with him? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't went to the states. I was traveling in the states. Okay. And they they went to California and I helped them out when they were in California. Okay, good. Yeah. Wow. That's good because at one of those tours, I guess I saw you at Amsterdam. I don't know even know what kind of show that was. I was sick of it all, but there were a lot of more bands, I think. Well, what happened was we knew each other from before. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, and sick of it all played at the, um, uh, the big festival in the Netherlands, Dynamo. Dynamo, yeah. Dynamo. And so I think we were in touch. So I think I put you and Elon on the guest list. Could and be, when, yeah. And then when I was on stage, I saw you and Ilona floating around people and you were all covered in mud. In so mud? You, yeah, yeah, you were all muddy. And I pumped <laughs> you guys out and I was like, let's get these guys out of there. And I got you guys backstage. <laughs> Dude, I don't even remember that. Are you serious? Yeah, I have this, you know, why were, memory. Why were we covered in mud? Because you were, you know, just crushed by, you know, 20,000 people. Oh, like that. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that could yeah. be. I don't. I don't remember, but I'm. I'm. I'm sure it happened. I, I have no idea. Like, like I said, like everything past twenty years is a big, big hole for me somehow. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, no, yeah. Um, so, but Inti, we we lost. I don't. I don't want to say we lost touch, but um, you kind of went. You kind of went to do your thing after. I think after a little while with uh, uh because. I, I think I started doing Born from Pain, and uh, you started doing different stuff than just exclusively hardcore. And at one point, we were in touch again, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm a production assistant now at Filmset." So, what? Like, 
how did how did you get in how did you get into that world well um my family is in the film business from my mother's side okay you know my 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 grandpa was a film director my mom is a costume designer uh my sister she's a makeup artist ah, okay. and uh, basically i used to work on film related stuff in between school so i would you know make some money in the summertime by working on, on films you know? like very like in between jobs. i will make coffees and bring stuff and uh just do coffees <laughs> stuff like that you know how old were you i was you know after i finished high school my first job at, a, uh, at the age of 18 well i work as a pa on a film when i was 15 i think but i think it was uh illegal <laughs> probably uh and then when i when i was 18 um i was looking for a job when i was going to college and i got a job in a at a film festival and i was physically organizing the film reels for the film projection so anyway so i work a couple you know shit jobs like that and then I started working for bands. And by working for bands, basically I refined my English because I was just hanging out with people mm -hmm. and talking English all over the world for months and months at a time. And when I finished that, they were looking for uh, production people to work on this big uh, Sylvester Stallone movie called Daylight that was all shot in Cinecittà. It was a big action film. Yeah, and no, I remember that. Get a big crew, so you know they just needed you know people do shit work, but they spoke really good English. So I got into film really through that, through working a shit job in a Sylvester Stallone movie, and after that I sort of like <laughs> made my way up. And because uh, I was because I yeah. remember the first time you said I work in movies, I was like, "What are you working?" And you said, "You literally said something like." I used to do stuff at porn sets, but now <laughs> I work. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was that. Maybe, no ma maybe you were joking. You were probably yeah. joking. No, but no, then I you said, but I just did a job at Gangs of New York. And I was like, I was like super impressed because that's such a great movie. Yeah. With, uh, with a great director. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. Uh, it's amazing. So when I work on Gangs of New York, I was already working in film business for quite some years. And I, I, I never knew that senior position on, on Gangs of New York. There was there was a great film. Okay, I'll I'll tell you a few things about Gangs of New York. Yeah, you know? tell me, come on. Okay, first <laughs> of all, uh, if you the, uh, if you look at the film uh, Bill the Butcher, you know that name they use character. Yeah, he's always with two bodyguards. Yeah, which were two Scottish actors, right? Mm -hmm. So one of those actors he sees me with a minor third shirt. And it's like, oh, I know this band. I, uh, you know, I think we did some shows with them. I'm like, what? Yeah, I used to play, you know, in a punk band. I was like, what band was that? And he said, oh, we were called The Exploited. What? So Are you Gary for McCormack, real? Gary McCormack, this uh, Scottish actor, who you can see in a lot of films, he was actually in The Exploited, and he played in uh, Punk's Not Dead and Truth of Tomorrow. What, 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 what instrument did he play? I think it was either the bass player or the drum player. I don't remember. That's crazy. So anyway, so you got that. Then I, yeah. I met this other guy, Blaze, who was a, was a stuntman from New York. And he was friends with Harley and, uh, and, and the Chromex. And he actually claimed, but I don't know if that's true, that he actually wrote <laughs> some of the lyrics of Best Wishes. <laughs> wow. This, this guy is an actual <laughs> stuntman. And then, uh, and then I, 
And that, that you can see in every movie I work on, when I, every time I can, I cast as extras people from the punk and hardcore scene. Ah, you told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Gangster New York, you have everybody. And some of them, like there is a guy who was actually, actually has a part. Uh, if you see the movie, and at one point Cameron Diaz, she's playing with a, with a mirror because he has to choose a dancing partner. Yes. And yes. the guy before Leonardo DiCaprio was a close-up and a reaction scene is the actual singer of this hardcore band called Redemption. You you told me this story before. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like, where, where did you guys film this? All in Rome. It was from yeah. only Rome at Chinichita. So you, got, so, you, so you got your Rome friends in there? All of them. That's crazy. I w- can I be in one of the movies whenever we, whenever I'm close? Like as an extra? A working permit, possibly. Yeah, I mean you are a European <laughs> citizen, so yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will. You get paid. I I don't even need to get paid. I just I just want the fame. <laughs> yeah. But but what's funny was that uh, you know I used to be the only guy from punk and hardcore on a movie set yeah. for years and years and years, and now. Uh, Every movie set I I work on, there is like two or three guys from the punk scene. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine because seriously, I mean, at one point, if there's a certain amount of people, a certain percentage needs to be into underground stuff, you know. Yeah, but it's always crazy if when th- th- this is something that happens to me sometimes too. If it's sometimes it's at a football match with people I never seen before, or it is somewhere else for work, and I meet people and they go like they see these little things about you, these these little small things, and they go like, yeah. "Oh, you're this and that, right?" Or you do this and that, and I'm like, "How do you how do you even?" And he's like, "Yeah, I see this and this and this," but it's funny because I see the same things with other people. You know, do do you know what I mean? Like if you I, see this little thing. You know, like to have some kind of a tattoo or they behave in a certain way or they say a certain thing where you go like, that guy couldn't say that or do something like that if he didn't know exactly this band a, or this lyric. Hardcore is a secret society. Yeah, <laughs> kind hardcore of is. Hardcore is yeah. a secret society with extremely tribal and secret codes. Yeah. From clothing to just things you do and the way you walk, whatever it yeah. is. And so when you meet somebody... I mean, when you when you meet somebody uh, and he has, you know, like um, a quicksand T-shirt, he's like, this guy knows. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, of course. Yeah. Or or something like that. And uh, I'll tell you, or, it's always this weird thing when you look at a guy and he looks at you and you're like, yeah, I think, uh, oh, you you know that. Or or even if you if you wear a certain brand of clothing, like yeah. at a streetwear or a casual thing, or or the way you wear your pants or whatever, yeah. you know. People go like, hey, are you into this or this? Uh, yeah, I actually am. How did you know? Well, you know, and I think that's I think that's kind of cool because it's exactly what you're saying. It's not a secret society as in you don't want anyone to know, but you've got certain codes that is not spoken of yeah. and you recognize, you know. Well, I mean, it's not like you don't want anybody to know. It's just nobody knows about it. For well, us, not, much, not, not, not the regular people. Yeah, I mean, for as much we think is, uh, oh, bands are getting bigger or people knows about it. Nobody gives a shit or knows about hardcore. It's it's not easy to uh, put it in a square, you know. No, it's not a it genre of music. So yeah. every band is different. 
Yeah. People dressed in a weird way, which is partly streetwear, partly punk, hip hop influence, but it's not hip hop. And then, um, you know, people just do really weird things. You know, people travel and talk with strangers and uh, put out <laughs> shows for no money. It's a type of cu- culture where nobody gives a shit about ca- cash. Yeah. And, and you know what the, what the weird thing is? It's one of the only scenes that says, okay, you're a complete stranger. Come sleep in my house where my, where, where my yo- one-year-old kid is also sleeping and where I have, I don't know, 2,000 euros somewhere in a cupboard, you know? Because yeah. usually you wouldn't do that. But when they're hardcore, you immediately trust people and say, yeah, come and live with me, you know? It's kind of crazy, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It is. But it's good. It it's good. It's good. <laughs> and so, listen, I, tra- I mean, I traveled the world with that. I literally traveled around yeah, South America uh-huh. only yeah. through hardcore people or around yeah. the U.S. only through hardcore people. And every time I go somewhere on location where I shoot somewhere for, you know, in a foreign country, yeah. I always try to find the people. Of course. You, you're never up here, right? Yeah. What was that? You're never up here, right? Netherlands, Europe, uh, Germany. Not so much. No, I haven't been in the Netherlands not so much, but I go to Berlin for the film festival pretty oh, every, almost yeah. every year. Next, yeah. next time, next time you're in Berlin, you gotta just you know like reserve two days and come by here. You know. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I've not seen. You know, I I am in touch with uh, Michiel and Bart. Yeah. You know, so you know they're always telling me to come to uh, Amsterdam. So I'd love to. Well, you. you you come to Essen and we drive up to Amsterdam together. We can go visit. I haven't seen him in ages either. Yeah, they're nice guys. Yeah, and you know, super and, and nice and guys. Marina, I always see uh, Rene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I bet Morgan Ute. And Mark and Ute, yeah. And you know who I see in Berlin also sometimes is uh, York Cock. <laughs> what, my cock? You know, York is. You said your cock? No, yeah, I'm well, just you know, York. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jorg, Jorg is a is a big chief into into the high fashion industry. Is he? You knew that? Okay, no, so I didn't. Jorg, I didn't. check this out. So Jorg, Jorg is this friend of us who was uh, you know a young teenager that was really into like strategic communist bands. Had a very had, had a very communist magazine. Yeah, called Enemy's Voice. No, Red. Blood Red and then Enemy's Voice. Yeah. And, uh, and he was very organized. You know, he was a very bright kid. And then he yeah. moved to Berlin as uh, I think he studied design or something like that. And then, you know, I lose touch with him for a few years. And then in, in a very hardcore fashion, he calls me up and he's like, oh, I'm coming to Rome with my family. Let's hang out. So I hang out with him. And he was still young, but he was married with a little child. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I do this. Uh, uh, fashion and architecture fanzine in Berlin called um, um, what is it called? Uh, uh, oh, fuck. Z- 032C, right? With this strange name, 032C. Okay. I'm like, okay, you know. And so I visit him from time to time. And then all of a sudden, a friend of mine works in the, in the fashion industry. And I asked him, oh, do you know this? A friend of mine makes this zine called 032C. It's like, oh, you know what? He's a fucking genius. His magazine is huge. And he's, uh, you know, he's a big shot in fashion now. So your oh, gigantic um, place in Berlin, like some, um, how do you say, some uh, brutalist church that is the headquarter of his magazine. 
Come and they on. make appear, uh, they make uh, merch, and they, you know, they their their issues are like this thick, and they're sold all over the world. It's a fantastic magazine. All right. Well, and good for like, him. I didn't know a, that. It's like an avant-garde fashion and architecture magazine. Zero thirty-two C. Yeah, you gotta check it out on the. On I, the I'll website. check it out. I didn't know yeah. that. I had a I had an interview on on this um, on this podcast with. Um, with Flo, who used to do, uh, I think, Enemy's Voice with him. Yeah. We used to play for True Blue. Uh, it's in German, unfortunately, well, for you. But um, And he also said, like, I lost track of him. And they were really good friends back then, so I thought maybe he could tell me something more about him. But I guess you tell me something more about him. And yeah. that's that's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. That's Yeah, uh, yeah I got to check that out. Well, see, the <laughs> thing with hardcore is that it's... It's such a time it's the secret society right and then you some of those people the the one thing that is common with hardcore is a very extreme do-it-yourself ethic and basically by yes. doing work mm. working with the do-it-yourself ethic a lot of people have became big guys into you know any kind of enterprises let's say yeah. like, like one of the most famous uh, contemporary artist of Europe is this Italian guy called Nico Vascellari, okay. who used to sing for this hardcore band from the north called With Love. Okay. And he's, it's, like, it's like a big shot in, uh, in yeah. contemporary art. And he's a hardcore kid. Totally. Yeah, but, but you know like what it is? To judge. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what it is? The thing is, right... And I've I've noticed that everywhere, and I, I guess you recognize this, and that's what you're getting at. Um, we grew up with a do-yourself attitude, so if something isn't right, we're not go looking at other people. We just solve the problems ourselves. We 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 find our ways. We we if if doesn't if if something doesn't seem to be working, we make it work. If something doesn't seem to be achievable, we make it achievable. You know, because we're used to that by doing our bands and doing our record labels and doing our magazines and everything. And that's something that um, I bet I bet you know what I'm talking about being in the film industry. I oh, bet you, you you recognize a lot of people where you go like, you can solve this problem? Why can you not solve this problem? You know, like you just you know, like just troubleshoot it a DIY in a DIY way, you know, like, and I see a lot of people where I'm like, Jesus Christ, you should, you should have grown up in the scene I grew up, grown up in, and you would have definitely have a solution for this problem somehow, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's pretty crazy because sometimes I, I do IT training too. And I sometimes work with people that work for really big companies. I train them and I'm like, they ask me questions and I'm like, are you even asking me this question? Like you can you can solve this problem if you can think two steps ahead, you know? And yeah. I think hardcore and punk makes you think two steps ahead, three steps, even four or five steps ahead because or makes you troubleshoot certain things because you know no one's gonna help you. You have to do it yourself, you know? And that's I think that's one of the biggest educations you could ever get in life. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, every time, uh, every time I talk, I speak with my friends. We're like, well, you know, we are 18, and we are already traveling Europe by our by our own, you know, ourselves in a yeah, time that, when it was not easy to travel. Which which is crazy from Rome being 18. Yeah. Which kid you know, does we, that? We will just travel everywhere. Yeah. You, know, you take. The, we're like, oh fuck this. We take the train and we go somewhere and we yeah. just we figure it out. You know. 
Yeah. We don't know where we're going to sleep. We'll figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that's you know, people won't do that back then. Now it's easier to travel. But, you know, back then you had borders and different yeah. <laughs> uh, currencies and different languages and places where people would speak no English. I mean, it was yeah, and, tough. And, and, and stuff wasn't just, in general, stuff wasn't just as easy as it is now. No. It, it just wasn't. No. Yeah. That, so, um, but getting getting a little bit back to your to your work nowadays, we were just talking about Gangs of New York, which is obviously like a, a huge production. I mean, a, a very famous movie. Um, who are some of the people you work with in your uh, like that, that that we know? You know, like I mean, it's come on, do some name dropping. I want to know some. <laughs> I, I want to know some names. I, I know. I know. Gangs of New York, Scorsese. What what other stuff you have? Come on. Okay, so uh, let's say I'm uh, specialized. Into high-end um, filmmaking, so I usually <laughs> I work like to hear on that. <laughs> uh, I usually work on big projects, uh, and uh, you know every time there is a big production that comes to Italy, although I start working abroad as well. So um, you know some of my credits includes um, a few jobs with Wes Anderson, Life Aquatic, and then a Prada short film, and then uh, you know Gangs of New York, and then Mission Impossible Three and Mission Impossible Seven. Damn. Uh, both the two Dan Brown uh, movies with um, um, uh, what's the name with uh, I know what um, you mean. Okay. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, with Richie Cunningham directing, uh, Ron Howard directing. What's the actor again? <laughs> I can't uh, get to the same meter. Tom, Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks, yeah. Tom Hanks and, and Ron Howard. They're some of the nicest people in the business. Uh, they're real? incredible how nice they are. So they're, they're the gen gen genuinely nice people? Genuinely nice people. Like extremely nice people. And very professional, but extremely nice. Like, you know, I will work with them in a heartbeat. Oh, oh that's good to hear. Good to yeah. hear. But I, I then, mean... Yeah, go on. And then what else? Uh, you know, that's, that's that. You know, I mean, I, I, I work on 45 movies. So it's a lot to remember now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you but ever those are the movies that I'm more proud of? Do Do you ever have um, do, do you have the ambition to be a director yourself? Uh not really. Uh, see, I'm I'm capable of doing that because I've done you know some music videos and uh, and a skateboarding short film and they all won awards and stuff. But the director really has a different uh, greed in life than me. You know, like. I know directors, they have a passion and a fire, and they will just not sleep over things. And I'm more of a laid back guy, you know? <laughs> you're, so I don't, you, I don't you, really you, care. You, I mean, no, I don't have the urge, you know? I don't you have just, the urge. I'm a film professional. You just, you just want to hang in the back and organize everything. I like that, you know, but I, yeah. I just like to do my part of the, of the business. I like to organize things. I like to, you know, play with toy soldiers and trains and uh, just manage things <laughs> and uh, just, you know, get that. Uh, but being a director, I mean, a director is a creative person that has a very strong uh, internal creative fire. It's, it's like a true artist. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, like a crazy painter or a crazy composer. Mm -hmm. And I don't you, have the craziness in me. I'm very laid back. You, you're more the organizer. Uh, that puts uh, order to the chaos of the 
the actual director. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Huh? Well, I, I, it, yeah. I, I, I think that's good because I think that's that's something uh, I, I, I would guess. I mean, I'm not in the film industry, but I would guess that is something that is very needed. So that's. Yeah. But would you say you're the go-to guy for a lot of people nowadays for the big productions that come to Italy? Yeah, yeah, I could say that. I mean, I'm like one of the people that they come to. Yeah, because there is very few of us, you know. In truth to be told, because very few of us are specialized of, on that kind of high-end production. Well, I have to say, I'm, I, I have to say, when you when you were talking to me about it years ago, I like I felt a sense of pride because you know, like not just because you're my friend, but also because it's someone from our scene that is recognized as such in. Um, in more of a mainstream business, you know, and I think that's always I always I always really like when uh, when someone you know gets that recognition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man, <laughs> you know, I'm happy. I, yeah, I try to stay humble because it's just work. You know, I mean, it's high end work, but it's just work, and uh, and I look yeah. at it that way. It's I mean, it's an adventure because it's exciting, and you get I was to, to say. Know, Make things explode, or uh, see amazing performers from actors, or just you know travel in crazy places and you know just get into weird situations. So it's, it's very kind, adventurous, you know. It's it like is, a, kind of going on tour. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of it's it's kind of rock star life in a different way, you know. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> in a different way, but it's, but it's hard work. You know, it's hard work. It's very long no, hours, I, you know, and. Uh, it's, I know it's, it's a tough it's a tough business. If if it's like being a manager or to a manager, yeah, then it's yeah. long hours. Yeah, yeah, it is. Imagine that with no downtimes ever. <laughs> no, imagine you are uh, you are stage managing for fourteen hours. Yeah, there's been days like that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I well, I just hope. You you're getting paid accordingly. I just hope you. Yeah, know, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's it's good money. I can't complain. You know, I I earn my wage. I do earn my wage. Uh, but yeah. I did direct some stuff. I directed a Born from Pain uh, video. That's you know the this best is, thing I ever done. This is this is what I was going to get to the next because the next question was going to be. You said you directed some uh, uh, short skateboard movie. I know you did that after the Born from Pain video, and you did the Born from Pain video. So I was actually really, 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 really stoked that you were going to do that. Because, uh, because we're longtime friends, and I know you had a good idea about it, and this is one of the videos of ours that I still love the most. So, um, did the video actually? Did it actually? Because I saw a lot of stuff coming by for um, nominations for awards. It did actually win an award. Yeah, yeah, it did win a few awards. Uh, w what happened was okay. So that's the thing. I never wanted to direct. But then I started producing. I I, I produced documentaries as a side job, uh, pretty successful documentaries. Make no money out of it, but you know, you know, my, the documentaries I produced they had, they had a very successful uh, life. And uh, anyway, so I was producing this documentary, and uh, the guys from um, Strength Approach, who's a band from Rome, yes, they were like, uh, "Do you want to do a video for us?" And I never direct anything. So By the like, way, okay. sh sh shout out to the guys from Strength Approach. Yeah. So awesome. I was like, oh, me, you know, let me just, you know, try it out. And it came out pretty good. And I think you saw the Strength Approach yes. video. Yes. And uh, you you sent me, you know, you sent me a, uh, a song and the lyrics. 
And I love that song and the lyrics. I was like, fuck, this is really, really good. So I you know, started thinking. Okay. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, I wrote you a treatment with exactly what I was going to do. Yes. And somehow I exactly shot what I, I wrote you. <laughs> right? It was you know, yeah. like a moment of magic inspiration I had, almost like I was a true director. Yeah, I you was, were. <laughs> I was surprised by myself. I was like, well, where all these ideas came out from? But anyway, they all came out. I was on a train ride and I started you know, brainstorming and writing down all these ideas. Maybe like 20 minutes, and the, you know the outline of the video was there. So the good thing was that I was friend. I'm friend with a lot of people in the film business. Yeah. So I got a lot of deals. You know, getting cameras for cheap and uh, actors coming in and people who do special effects and yeah. stuff like that. So I shot that video. You know, you know, asking a lot of favors and had a pretty big quality thing to it. So yeah, it was once- awesome. Yeah. Once that was put together, I started sending it to uh, music video festivals, mm-hmm. and he got played a lot, and he got a couple, of, a bunch of nominations and a couple of awards. Yes, yes. that's awesome. Yeah, because uh, first off, I really appreciate you did it like that, and that you that you that you were willing to pull some favors for for that video. Awesome. But when I saw your treatment, I was like, yeah, let's. This is exactly what we mean by it, you know. So let's let's do it. Did you did you ever? Uh, or if you didn't, you should read the comments underneath the, the YouTube uh, thing. Sometimes there's oh, like a whole no, there's a whole discussion about what is it about and why is it this and why is it that and surely they mean this <laughs> and surely. And I'm like, I just have to laugh because I'm not going to comment on YouTube videos. But it's it's funny because I think that's good because people you, you made people actually think what do they actually mean by what's going on i mean for me it's pretty obvious because we talked about it and i know what i wrote the lyric about and you i, I told you you know like and you you made a treatment for it but it's 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 pretty funny because there's some people that just you know like there there's a whole discussion underneath and i stumbled upon it because Sometimes I check a video, see how much plays they have, and that video actually has a lot of plays, so it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it went pretty well. I thought it was you know well made, and uh, and then after that, I got a call from my friend Julio from Green Records, which is the guy who did uh, ah, Green Records. I remember Green shows. Records. Yeah, That's up in up in the north, up in Padova, and used to do yes. the fire shows. Yes. So anyway, this friend of mine, he had uh, he has a skateboarding brand called um, uh, Murder. And yeah. he wanted to do a skateboarding video, and I, you know, he, he approached me for a treatment. And once again, I wanted to do something different, so I did uh, this uh, skateboarding video, which is all set in the Cinecitta Studios. Mm. And they came out pretty well, and that was my the most successful thing I ever done because he went everywhere in the world. He got great reviews in skateboarding magazine, and he went to maybe like 150 festival selections. Oh shit, that's a lot. And I lot. got 14 awards. I mean, it was huge. Damn. Yeah, it was huge. It went pretty well. So do you so you do do you want to continue doing that kind of stuff or I mean, I'll do it if I get something that is really interesting to me. All right. And I'm not really interested into anything that is mainstream, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. So but, hey, like, that's that's great. You know, I like working with you guys because I was giving, you know, freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. Of course. And yeah. I like working with um, with Julio because, you know, was stoked about my ideas and we put up, uh, we put out something pretty cool together. But uh, if I shout out, shout out to Julio too, by the way, right? But if I were to work with a brand, 
and like real money involved, there is too many um, compromises for me yeah. mm. to make. And yeah, it bores me. So if a big brand would tell you, Inti, here you got 100,000 100, euros, you make this, no compromises. Yeah, I will try it. You know, it depends yeah. on the brand. See, uh, I'm very picky about the jobs I take, and there is one thing, one or two things that I never take. I don't take. Uh, I don't. I work in commercials, and I don't take commercials that are about uh, um, uh, animal products, no mm -hmm. meat or fish or leather or wool commercials. Yeah. Or and people are really shocked about that. Or, you know, I don't like to work with um, movies that um, push a political agenda that is not mine. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm about those. Very understandable. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so it depends on the products. You know? No, yeah, I understand, obviously. Well, you got your principles, and that's, that's, that's cool. By the way, talking about principles, I, I'm drifting off completely now, but remember when I came to Rome? with Naomi and um, you gave me all these tips and we went to that ve the oldest vegan restaurant in Rome. You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even vegan, but that might've been one of the best dinners I ever had. That was pretty good. I took, I took, uh, I think I took the six course dinner or something with, <laughs> with, uh, you know, where you, where you get to, where they, where they choose the wines for you to go with it and everything. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I know which place you're talking about. That's it's a near, classy restaurant. It's near the Spanish Steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it's fucking the oldest great. Italian restaurant in Rome, and it's a pretty classic place. It's an art gallery, really. You know, it's an art gallery and a restaurant. It's Inside, cool. right? Yes, yeah. yes, I remember that, and it was fucking amazing. When we were in Rome, we were like, you know, like we're here for five days, might as well treat ourselves, and it was so fucking good. So, props to you, and that's great, and. Uh, away from that, you just mentioned, I worked on a couple of documentaries with blah, 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 uh, whatever. And, you know, we've been talking about this back and forth. Sometimes you were like, hey, you should check this out. And I was like, okay, I will try to find it and etc. And then I have to be honest, I never really like went on a deep, deep search for it. But then a month ago, it finally popped up on my Netflix. Oh, yeah. 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 In Netherlands and in Germany. You know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Essence for Stanley. Exactly. And, and I watched, and I was like, fuck, I'm immediately going to watch this. And seriously, it was so good. Okay, so I'll tell you this story. So we, we, we met this guy, you know, Emilio, yeah. who's this Italian guy who used to be uh, Stanley Kubrick's personal driver and personal assistant. Yeah. And he just put out um, a memoir book. And so we love the book and we bought the rights for the book because we wanted to do a documentary out of it. Yeah. And that was that that was my first producing producing job, you know? So we, we put the money together and we bought the rights and we're like, oh, you yeah. know, it's gonna be easy to finance this uh documentary. And then because it's a very interesting uh book, and then all of a sudden uh we didn't find any money to finance the documentary. And I was you, like you you, you couldn't know, get any funders? We couldn't get any fund. We oh, we went okay. all over the you know film markets and we met with financiers and TV channels yeah. and producers and nobody wanted to touch it. And it was it was kind of sad, you know, because you know a year after we got the rights, we couldn't put get the money together to do it. And we're like, ah, fuck, you know, this seemed like 
a great project. So I was like, you know what? That was exactly when we couldn't do any shows. I was like, fuck this, we're going to do this documentary. Let's put together some money. I'm going to ask all the favors I can. And yeah. we self-produced the documentary. So we self-produced the documentary exactly like we will, uh, you know, put together a hardcore show or a, or a hardcore yeah. seven inch, right? Very DIY. Like, exactly. Totally DIY. And once the documentary was together, again, we couldn't, you know, nobody wanted, wanted to watch, even watch it. You know, people were like, oh, we're not interested. Because I remember so was, you said, I, I'm, I'm going to shop it around. Yeah. So it was yeah. kind of sad. We were like, nobody wanted it. And then, luckily, we were friends with the um, uh, director of the Rome Film Festival, which yeah. is a, it's a pretty good international film festival, and he loved the film. And so he put it up on for selection. So they showed it at the festival, and we got all these great reviews, international great reviews, and all of a sudden, we were a hot topic. <laughs> so we finally find distribution. You know, we've, we're finally able to sell it to, um, to different countries. And um, we didn't really make any money, but we, we made up the cost. And Zoli is getting another life because first we, were, we just uh, sold it in Italy and in the US, and now it's getting sold to the, all these different territories. Yeah. So five years later, it's coming out on Netflix in uh, Germany and the Netherlands and yeah, the UK exactly. and France. But I have to say, seriously, and I'm not saying this because we're friends, but I saw it and I was like... I didn't have any expectations because, okay, this is the personal assistant of Stanley Kubrick. So, okay, you know, like, but I mean, I, I figured if you make a documentary about it, there must be something about it. So I watched it, but I thought it was great. It's a really great story. I'm glad you like it. You know, it's, I mean, I won't spoil it to your listener. Oh yeah, it's 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 a, it's a great story and it's very captivating, you know. It is, and everybody, please go look up on if you're Northwestern Europe, go look it up on Netflix. It's called S is for Stanley, and like you you know what the documentary is called S is for Stanley when you watch it, but it's it's about the assistant, the Italian assistant of Stanley Kubrick, who uh, who lived with him in England for a lot of years. Uh, way longer than he thought he would, but it's uh, it's it's an amazing documentary. It says a lot. If if you're a Stanley Kubrick fan, you gotta watch it, anyways. But even if yeah. you're not, it's it's great. It's uh, it's very captivating, and uh, and you know, like I. Oh, and let me tell you. I mean, with that documentary, we won the Italian equivalent of the Oscars. Oh fuck off! Really? Yeah, yeah. We we won the. The David Di Donatello, which is the Italian Oscar. Yeah. We are nominated at the European Film Academy Awards, which is the European equivalent of the Oscars. Oh, damn. So it went pretty well. Oh, that's that's great. Well, I'm happy for you because I know back then you said this was a big thing for you, which it obviously was, but as, I mean, it's it's it, it's cool. Like, I, I really enjoyed watching it, so everybody well, should watch know, it. You know, was the only person that believed in the project for real was Jorg from Zero Thirty Two C Magazine, who was the first person who you know made a magazine article about the project. Oh yeah, before it was even yeah before it was even funded. You know, before it was even finished. Oh, that's great. Well, good on yeah. him. Good on him. Well, I have to say, I'm a I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan. There's so, there's so much crazy stories around Stanley Kubrick, and his movies are so 
Awesome. So, what's your fa- what's your favorite Kubrick movie? Um, I think probably I will say uh, The Shining. Yeah. Yeah, Shining is a great film, and uh, maybe Barry. I mean, they're all great because he, he was such a. His movies are all so different, you know. I would yeah, really yeah. really pinch it on a genre, you know. And yeah. The only thing that I never really liked was Eyes Wide Shut. Shut the fuck up! I was going to say this is I probably know. one of my favorite movies. The atmosphere, the atmosphere in that movie, is so. It's so crazy, and it's also a movie that's like two halves almost, like two different movies. Yeah. And no, I love Ice White Shot, seriously. You don't like Ice White Shot? What's wrong with I'm you? I'm not crazy about it. I'm not crazy you're... about it. But also, yeah, I mean, you know, your, your perception of films or music is really based on the time where you saw it. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah. And back when I watched mm-hmm. it, I was like, ah, I don't know about this movie. You, know? uh, you were in the, were you, were you emotionally in a bad place in your life? I don't remember. Probably. <laughs> no, I love Ice Fight Shot, seriously. But uh, of course, the shot. But the, the Shining is obviously the Kubrick classic together with uh, Space Odyssey. But yeah. um, th- th- I think those are the the, the, the most classic Kubrick ones. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I just, I, obviously, Clockwork Orange. Jesus. Yeah. Clockwork Orange seems to be. That's crazy because. It's it's weird how that chimes in with our scene as well, right? Because Clockwork yeah. Orange seems to be a skinhead classic, right? Well, it's really strange. I don't know if if we mentioned that in the documentary, but when Clockwork Orange came out in the in the UK, there was a lot of violence related to the film. Like people would think would be inspired to do acts of violence. Oh, I I can, I can totally and, see that. Right, and Kubrick hated that so much. That he took the movie out of the theaters in the UK, and oh, did he? he he forbid the movie to be shown in the UK until I think like ten years after his death. Damn! So what, the what? movie was was completely underground. I mean, it was shown for maybe like a month when it came out in the 1960s, right? Mm-hmm. And because of the violence related to the movie, he took it out of the movie theaters. So everybody that was uh, inspired by Clockwork Orange in the UK scene was because they saw bootleg tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's 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 it's, but it's all crazy how that is kind of intertwined everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the the funny thing that that was not his intention. No, his it wasn't. His intention was wasn't. to portray violence in a negative way. And yeah. you end up, you know, with violence being glorified up to this day. It is definitely glorified because, I mean, Clockwork Orange, up until this day, skinheads will refer to that and it's it's done in a glorious way, not in a negative way. Which is great. I mean, this, this, the, the power of film is very weird because no matter what you do, you glorify things. No matter what you do, you make things epic. Even if they are completely negative, I mean, if you see The Godfather, The Godfather was a fantastic film. It's a complete yeah. negative s- story because you know they do fucked up things, and uh, yeah. uh, and you know Corleone ends up alone, killing his own brother, being yeah. left by his wife, not seeing his children, 
Yeah. And yet, everybody's like, oh, the Godfather. Crime basically never pays. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you watch, if you watch um, 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 Scarface, you know, Brian De Palma's Scarface, it's a horrible story. He shoots his own sister. Yeah. Right? And everybody glorifies Scarface. Inti, I think Scarface, even more than The Godfather, is the one movie that inspired a lot of modern day gangsters like serious gangsters yeah in in holland we got um we got we got a there's a real fight over the last 10 years has been a very violent moroccan crime gang they call yeah. it the, the macro mafia they execute people at will like like you're in mexico like a drug cartel uh lawyers uh journalists everything and um, the guy actually said, there's a documentary about it, and friends of him said, the guy who runs the cartel is actually inspired by Tony Montana. He wanted to be like Tony Montana. But so Tony Montana kills his own sister and dies alone, you know? I know, weird. but... Yeah, but, yeah, but the, I, think the, I think everybody thinks, like with The Godfather and in Scarface, everybody thinks maybe I can do this better. I, I'm not going to yeah. be this guy. But... As we all know, crime never pays off. I mean, the thing is, I, I'm not a good at two shoes, you know, but let's be honest. If if you get into that life, at least the least thing you will have to do is look over your shoulder the rest of your life yeah. for the law for the law to catch you or whatever, you'll be on the run the rest of your life. That's not that's not a life. That's not a life. It's a know? horrible like, life. Yeah. It's a horrible life, you know. And I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's the way to go, but I don't know, you know. But I think you're right. A lot of those movies from Clockwork Orange to Scarface to The Godfather inspired a lot of people to do crazy stuff. Whereas I think all the directors didn't even mean to do that. They, they, I think they tried to tell the opposite story. But Yeah. Well, I mean, a film is a very strange medium because even though you want to tell a terrible story, you end, you're going to end up making like a myth glorifying it glorifying course, it you know yeah. and it's you know the beautiful photography and the scenes or whatnot just imagine this so there is this Italian uh, writer a journalist named Roberto Saviano okay mm. he wrote this book called Gomorra which is a fantastic book mm. which is an investigative journalist book that you know puts a red line that links the organized crime the Camorra and uh, uh, the institutions and the uh, garment industry and uh, you know drug uh, dealing and, uh, and you know and dealing industry all of that he puts a red line and he sees how everything how everything is connected yeah so the guy wrote this book which is just you know getting facts together not new facts just the same facts but showing how they are connected so the guy put out the book and he gets a, um, um, how you call it, a, a contract. Like the Neapolitan organized crime puts a contract on him. So the guy's been living under, you know, um, uh, under uh, arm escort and changing place where he sleeps every week for the last 20 years. Crazy. Right? It's almost like you have a fatwa from the Anayatollah. Yeah. Or something like that, right? You know, you have a death sentence looming over your head forever okay so this italian director five years later makes a, a film about it called gomorra mm. he wins 
the Cannes Film Festival, and the Mafia guys, they love the film. Crazy. And, it, and it's the same, you know, it's just everything as in the book, but all the... Yeah, exactly. Okay? Yeah, exactly. So I, I read the, the book and I saw the film. It's, exact, it's almost exactly the same. So the director is glorified. Yeah. The film is glorified. They love the film. They, you know, they want to kill the writer. Right? But it's the same story. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is that there is a scene that is shot in the film, which was in the former villa of a former Camorra organized crime, Kimpin, who made his villa exactly as the villa of Scarface. He had so much money that he put some architects, they made, he made them watch the movie so they could build a replica of the fucking Scarface villa. See, that's what I'm saying. People want to be like these people. It's insane, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's weird, you know. It's just like you know, um, it's just like hardcore kids listening to NWA and wanting to be black gangsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even just hardcore kids, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's actually really crazy. But um, I remember being, I remember we we played a show a show in uh, Naples once. Oh. At, And it was it was actually pretty crazy. Uh, we went down there, and uh, you know those guys from On Fall, that band. I, I know of them, but I don't know them. I don't know of them. Yeah, a shout out to Paolo. He's he's a friend of mine. He, he used to play in uh, in On Fall. They got a different band now, but um, they they brought us down there. We're born for pain, and. It, <laughs> But Naples is a completely different story. Like, I mean, you've been obviously you've been to Naples, Indy. But yeah, been, I've been like, there many times. Yeah, we you come down there and you immediately feel a completely different vibe. And um, he lives out in the he lives in one of the in the in the in the urban uh, quarters, one of the one of the one of the sections in the, in, the, in in down in Rome. And he says, okay, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like very early. Is in the morning or the early afternoon? I think we played in Rome before. I don't know. And we come down there and he says, okay, park the van here. So we park it in a, in sort of a cave, you know? Yeah. And the guys already look kind of sketchy. <laughs> and he's like, leave the key because they need to park the van in different places when different cars come. You know how the process is, you know, yeah. like they have to rearrange. And I'm like, well, you know, like. A lot of our guys feel uncomfortable because we got like about 10,000 euros equipment in the car or maybe more. And these guys have the key now. And in all honesty, they look kind of sketchy, you know. And I didn't want to say it to him, but this is Naples, you know. Like, And he's like, no, 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 trust me, the guy's from the neighborhood. And I'm like, okay. Uh. So we had a huge discussion there. And the guys in the cave, the guys from the parking spot are already getting irritated because they see us getting nervous about it. Yeah. And so they know that we don't trust them and they get irritated and they start saying, you got to leave now, you know, like you got to fucking leave the key now, you know. And I say, actually, I'm just, I mean, I played, back then I played the bass, but I mean, my equipment wasn't worth much. So, but the guitarist just bought a new amp of 3000 euros. So he's like, I'm not leaving my shit here. I'm like, dude, I think you have to, because these guys are not happy. And, <laughs> you know, so we left it there. So we walk out in the town and we, you know, have ice cream, you know, do whatever, you know. And uh, then the guy goes like, uh, I have to call my girlfriend. 
and he calls his girlfriend and he stays away for half an hour, an hour, one and a half hours. And we try to call him and no one calls him back and he doesn't pack up the phone. And we're like, fuck, is he in cahoots with these guys? And they all stole our equipment. And then yeah. all of a sudden he comes popping up when everybody's already t- completely going insane about it. But then we got the van from the K. It was all good. But then at night after the show, <laughs> we stayed at, I think, the singer's place or the singer's mom's place. I don't remember. And he said, yeah, you get to park the van with the backside to the car and with the side, with the sliding door to the wall, because this and that is not a good neighborhood. I leave a couple of baseball bats in your in your van. And um, they uh, our neighbor got robbed because they know that she had a hunting rifle there and she got killed because they wanted to steal a hunting rifle. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what are we getting ourselves <laughs> into here, you know? And it's... Uh, but I have to say it's quite an experience. But you get you 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 feel that the city is different. Did you have the same feel down there? I don't know. Well, Naples is a, is a very beautiful city, and the people absolutely Naples are incredibly warm and great absolutely human beings. Absolutely, and of course, you know, uh, is is a city that has a lot of problems, social problems, and uh, social inequality. And the the Camorra organized crime is a state within yeah. the state. It's an alternative state and an alternative yeah. economy. So you know, a portion of the Neapolitans are involved into the organized crime, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that portion ruins the whole city. But mm-hmm. I say the majority of the people from Naples are very proud and very generous people. Yeah, of course, you know, is the closest thing you have in Europe to uh, you know a South American. Uh, world city yeah where <laughs> the rule of law is only partial yes right yes so you know it, it can be sketchy but you know it used to be sketchy in a lot of places in new york of and course. it's sketchy in a lot of other places in the western world so of course you know but, uh, but i'll tell you you know i brought some people from new york to naples and they were like what the fuck is this yeah <laughs> I oh, do have you to. Just live in the world lower east side. What are you talking about? I, I saw people getting stabbed <laughs> in your neighborhood. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's not like that. Yeah, I do have to say, like, like you said, Naples is absolutely beautiful, and it's actually one of the one of the one of the uh, the locations in 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 Europe that I actually really really want to go for a even if it's just for a weekend, you know, fly out because. Uh, but it's it's when we were there, you could actually. Uh, he actually had a different vibe. Guys were telling me that actually, forty to forty-five percent of all the real estate in the city is owned by Comora. So yeah, so they were actually saying like what you were saying. It's a state within a state, you know, and the actual official state doesn't really have a grip on it, you know, and and that's you know like coming from series like Comora, you know, there's there's a movie and there's a series. Uh, I think the the movie is more the movie is more like the book that has been written. And yeah. the series is a little bit more uh, cineastic, but it's for for a crime series is still pretty good. But um, I don't know, it's it's. But it doesn't have the political and economical side of the book. No, it doesn't. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's very sanitized in that sense. Yeah, it's 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 more. I don't want to say Hollywood, but it's more cineastic in that sense. You know, like yeah. more like you know that. Uh, the, the, I mean, the the movie actually ends pretty. How should I say? It, not to not to be a spoiler, but it ends pretty dramatic for the people that play the main yeah. characters in the movie. And yeah. in the in the in the series, it 
Well, up until where I seen it, it doesn't yet. Do you watch stuff like Subura, or is that too too Hollywood for you? Uh, I didn't, I don't like Subura much. I yeah. think the first season of Gomorra was really good, but then they really sanitized it a lot. You know, they took out yeah. completely the economy and the police, and uh, it became yeah. just a very well made, uh, you know, uh, crime family series. saga. You know, it's a family yeah, yeah, saga. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it doesn't have any contradictory uh, content, you know? Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, I like it. Also, the, because the... they get shot. You know, if they, if they do anything that is that is edgy, you know, and it is a little bit political and it shows the link between the politics and the organized crime, they're going to get shot. Mm. Yeah. You know, there is no way to do something honest un- unless it's a, it's a documentary or a feature film. Anything that is TV or popular is pretty hard that is going to be like some controver- controversial, especially in yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yeah, like that. I mean... <laughs> I don't think anyone would take a chance on that uh, anyway. So, <laughs> no. so, and and why and and why would you? I mean, would you, would you, would you stick your head out to do a honest documentary on that and risk the risk the chance of being executed? Well, you know that's what a lot of um, uh, journalists and filmmakers do, and it's usually people that are really linked with the territory. You know, there's been a I mean, now it's not as violent as it used to be, meaning that they turn more into business than into violence. But back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there were a lot of um, journalists and judges and just people that did a lot of, you know, just social workers that got killed mm-hmm. by the organized crime. Yeah. Really, not as much as now, not as much as now at all, because I think the organized crime just realizes it's bad for business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in the eighties and the early nineties that, like, in my in my experience, somehow in my memory, every week there was someone murdered in the south of Italy and Sicily yeah. or in in Ro- uh, or in Naples for uh, trying to prosecute a mob. Crazy, yeah, right? That's correct. That's correct. I mean, they even, you know, they di- even did a bombing campaign. Almost yeah. like they were ISIS. I mean, frankly, I'll tell you that the organized crime in Italy, the in the south of Italy, Camorra and Drangheta and Mafia, they're the closest thing we have to ISIS in the Western world. Yeah. Because it's um, it's a huge, powerful military uh, and economical underworld. That has also an, an ideology somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just business; it's almost an ideology. So people they live and die by that, mm-hmm. like a jihadi would, you know. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a religion. The principles to have, yeah. 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 I mean, whatever principle they are, but they are extremists in their ideology, in their mm-hmm. uh, you know their their, their uh, you know their commitment to the organized crime. And it's more like they're part of a of a jihadi group than of an actual organized crime mm-hmm. because it's so much deep, you know. Mm-hmm. They they really think they are their own state, and they are fighting a war against the Italian state. Well, they they, they did back they, then. They I was going to say they 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 did that for a while. And uh. in the nineties, especially in the nineties, they did wage war against the Italian state. Because they did a bombing campaign 
like they put car bombs, you know, yeah. in a lot of places in Italy and blew up judges and everything. And so much that the state, and I saw a few documentaries about it, had actually somehow to sit down with them and make a truce. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> you know? But that's, yeah. you know, that's why you have to do, you know, that's what's going to happen with the Taliban in, uh, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, when, when what you have in front of you is so committed and so ideologic and so widespread, yeah. you have to find a compromise. Yeah. Because these people are just not like, it's, it's not even part of their thinking to stop or to at some point uh relent you know like these are these are these are people that are so committed like you said and if it's if it's uh it just depends on what ideology it is it can be a religious ideology but it could also be something like the principles uh the, the drangheta or the cosa nostra has you know yeah 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 it's it's pretty crazy so um to uh to round this off a little inti yeah. The state, the state of hardcore in Rome nowadays. What do you say? Well, you know, I don't know much. Meaning that I have a lot of friends, and I go from, to shows from time to time. But it's not like I go to shows every weekend because I, my job is very time consuming. So every time I'm working, I'm usually sleeping. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so I don't. I try to go to shows here and there, but I'm. Definitely not up to date. There is a lot of bands. There is maybe, you know, I could tell you of 10 bands, but there's probably more. And there is shows. But 10, bands, often, 10 bands is already you know, not bad. There's a lot of cities that just yeah. have one or two bands, ain't it? There is at least 10 bands. And there is a lot of cross-pollination between, you know, like bands like Judah, were more like glam rock slash oi, or yeah. uh, skinhead bands, or more, you know, or more hardcore bands. Rome cross-pollinates a lot. And That's every good. year mm-hmm. they, they made this uh, festival called Queste Roma, which mm-hmm. has made like 20 bands or 25 bands all from Rome, you know, of all type of genre that are common to the hardcore and punk subculture, which, you know, I mean, it's very, it can be, could be very diverse. It could be oi bands and glam rock bands and uh, punk bands and hardcore and hardcore metal, you know? Yeah. So, so they do this festival every year, usually in January, and you know there is usually about eight hundred, a thousand people, which is pretty big for something like that. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of music. Of course, hardcore is always in fluctuation, you know. So you have years where people are more committed and more eager to do things. Some years where things are kind of stale. So I can't really say what I'm. What I can tell you is that. Hardcore never dies. That's a fact. <laughs> you know, and he, he never died in Rome. It may be not as exciting as I think it was back in my days, but I think probably because it was my days. You know, I try not to look down on the younger generations. They're living their own version, and it's probably really fucking cool anyway, you know, for but, them. But in all honesty, in my mind, but that's maybe because we're probably as... How old are you now? You're probably end of 40s too, right? I'm 50. See, I'm turning 50 in a couple of months. So, but for me, it's exactly correct what you're saying. In my feeling back then, in those days, Romarco was the biggest. Yeah, maybe. 
who knows? You know, I think he's the biggest wherever you, uh, however you leave it, you know? I That's mean, true. I, I, That's true. I do, you know, I'm lucky because I travel from place to place yeah. with my job. And so I get to see shows in different places and say, you know, like five years ago I was in Barcelona and I, I went to a show and I was like, fuck, this is exactly Roma core in 1992. Because people were fucking going crazy and they were all friends and it was all local bands and they were all getting off and the music was great. But right. that was five years ago in Barcelona. And yeah. maybe, you know, there is some fucking town in Northern Europe where it's exactly like that now. Of course. And there is a yeah, place no, in the true. US where it's exactly yeah. like that now. So Exactly. Yeah. You know? No, you're right. You're right. And hey, I got to say for, for the newer bands, I mean... Tukela, I know Tukela is not around anymore, but it's one of the, the 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 newer bands from the last decade. So props to those guys, and especially Strength Approach. I mean, and I don't, there's probably a bunch of more Rome hardcore bands, but uh, so, so let me tell you, Jai, respected those from Tukil, yeah, he's one of my collaborators in films for years now. Oh yeah, he, he is. Yeah, he, we just finished Mission Impossible Seven together. What do you mean? What, what what is his job on the set? He's a he's a he's a he's an AD. He works in my in my assistant director's team. He's really fucking good too. Oh, I thought he was a fluffer. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, good for good for him. Like that's that's awesome. I really like him. So props to props to Jay. Um, yeah. I mean, one last statement, Inti. Yeah. Italian hardcore. Important but never got the recognition it should have gotten. Yes or no? Uh, uh, I think it did. And because because the the early Italian hardcore, like uh, Raw Power and Indigestion and uh, Wretched and Negazione and Chitokom motherfuckers were so good. Uh, you know, now there is a lot of punk kids from the US who listen to that stuff. That's like kind mm-hmm. of eternal, you know? So I think it's, be, it's being recognized in waves. You know, it was, nobody knew about those bands in the early 90s, except maybe like 10 people. Nobody cared. Nobody cared about those bands in the 2000s. And now you have, you know, like a band like Torso were basically wretched. Yes, were like, yeah, I agree. You know, uh, Torso, they're like an Italian hardcore band from the 1980s. Yeah. They're fucking amazing. You know, I love Yeah, them. no, they're a great band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, you know, the drum player is Italian, so maybe, you know. You think that's a connection? I don't know, I don't know. But they do play, they do play like an early 80s uh, uh, Italian hardcore band. Yeah. There is a bunch of bands who are like that all over the world. And also with that kind of aesthetic as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somehow that those, those records are so immortal that people are, you know, getting back into that kind of music, especially now that it's available, because... You have to think that in the 90s and in the 2000s, this stuff was completely forgotten because only the people that had those records would yeah. know about their music. Yeah. There was yeah, no yeah. YouTube. There was no, you know, no music could be shared. Except no Spotify, no nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if you had those records, then you knew about the music. Otherwise, I, there was and, no one was, and no one was repressing those records back then. Yeah. 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 No, good. Well, Thank you, Inti. Like we're we're at two hours. Uh, okay. I hope they're not too boring. No, no, it's super interesting. I mean, you're one of my you're one of my longest guests, and hey, uh, I had not one boring second. 
I don't think the listeners will have either. Uh, well, thank you for everything. Thank you for uh, for talking to me and uh, on this podcast. And I hope we see each other in person pretty soon. Lovely, lovely. I love to. Oh, you know what? Let me tell you something. When I saw you with Born from Pain, I was like, "How much fucking gear these guys have?" Because you guys played at the Forte Prenestino, and you had like like the biggest you know custom amps I ever seen in my life. <laughs> Maybe not the bass amp, but I think your guitar player was really into the fucking gear. I was like, "Whoa, what is that?" And you guys sounded really good. Well, thank you. Well, that's yeah. why he was so worried about losing it in Naples, you know. Yeah, I bet. You know, that kind of <laughs> that stuff was expensive, really, really cool stuff. But also, I think you guys, you know, when you started sinking, it was such a better band. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, hey, Inti, thank you for everything. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for uh, doing that video for us because it's still one of my favorite Born for Pain videos. But hey, um, I hope I can come and see you in Rome soon or Anytime, somewhere else. Or come up here and pay a visit whenever you got time. I know you got a very busy schedule, but I'm sure we can find a we can we can find a way to hang out somehow. We will, man. We will. And otherwise, if you lose more caps, just let me know. I'll send them out to you. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> all right. Hey, I love you, and we'll talk later. All right. All right. Say hi.